This is a Courageous Church podcast, equipping and empowering you to live a courageous life. Join us now as we listen to a message from Courageous Church in Salt Lake City, Utah. It's good to be with you today. You know, I meet many people that read or study the Bible, and some have concluded that it's simply filled with poetry and ancient writings, some wisdom sayings, but it's not necessarily the Word of God. I hope today we'll have the attitude of the first century church in Thessalonica. Paul commends them in 1 Thessalonians 2. He says, You didn't think of our words as mere human ideas. You accepted what we said as the very Word of God, which, of course, it is. And this Word continues to work in you who believe. You want the desired result. It's important to have the appropriate approach. Now, last week, Jason reminded us that God calls us to walk in love, in the light, and in the Spirit's power. So today we're going to continue our study of Paul's epistle to the Ephesians. Once again, I want to remind you that the chapter and verse divisions weren't added by the translators in published Bibles until the mid-16th century. And while the original writings or autographs are inspired, these additions were simply added for convenience sake. Let's say to locate a passage quickly. However, they may not accurately indicate a change of thought or subject by the author. So in the first century, as the Apostle Paul wrote a letter from prison to believers in Ephesus, a city located in modern-day Turkey, he didn't include chapter and verse subdivisions. His letter was instead a flowing message highlighting the grand themes of the Christian faith to those who, having been Gentiles in times past, were now converted to Christianity. So Paul develops the following truths. Number one, we are the recipients of spiritual blessings in Christ. Number two, the mystery of Christ was revealed to Paul, and then he in turn shares it with us. Number three, we were once dead in sin, led by the spirit of the devil. And now we are alive in Christ and led by the Holy Spirit. Number four, as Gentiles, we were outsiders, but now through faith in Christ's blood, his sacrifice on the cross, we are united with God. And we are citizens along with all of God's people and members of God's family. Now remember, we didn't earn it, we don't deserve it, for by grace we've been saved through faith. Number five, now the promises, the covenants, the rich inheritance promised to the Jew is available to the Gentile, the non-Jew, through faith in Christ. Remember, Paul tells the Galatians, if you're Christ, then you're Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise, the promise given to Abraham. Number six, he enables us to walk in unity and as people of the light, rather than people of the darkness walking in sin. 
He says in Ephesians 5.8, once you were full of darkness, now you have light from the Lord. So live as people of the light. And finally, number seven, the spiritual war is real and it rages on, but God has equipped us with tools or equipment necessary to successfully stand. So we're to walk in love as Jesus Christ did, and we're to live in the light, not the darkness, and we're to live by the Holy Spirit's power. Now, let me just quickly reinforce the hidden mystery that's so vital and revealed to us by Paul. He revealed to the Ephesians, and thereby to you and me, that Gentiles or non-Jews can join with Jews as recipients of God's blessing and his promises that were made to Abraham and to Moses and to David through faith in Abraham's seed, singular, not seed many, seed singular, Jesus Christ. Galatians 3.28 says it this way, There is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And Peter continues the theme. Indeed, in 1 Peter 2.9, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. And there again, this contrast of darkness, the kingdom of the prince of the power of the air, light, the kingdom of Jesus Christ. So to the Jew, he says, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God. Believe also in me. And to the Gentile, he says, and in this case through Isaiah the prophet, you will do more than restore the people of Israel to me. That's the Jew. I will make you a light to the Gentiles and you will bring my salvation to the ends of the earth. That's Isaiah 49, verse 6. And then to Jewish believers who've received Christ, he says, therefore, based upon all that I've said and done, now you go and you make disciples, not of the Jewish nation. He says, you go and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit. That's the Great Commission in Matthew 28. And that was given to Jews to redeem the whole world. So last week, Pastor Jason reminded us of Paul's practical challenge. As children of the light, we're to walk in love, empowered by the Holy Spirit, so that we may live transformed lives. And now Paul drills down even further to the practical everyday ways that we can do this in our family relationships. And he's gonna begin by offering a critical key. And this is really a transitional verse because Pastor Jason closed with it last week and I'll begin with it today. And we can actually use it to conclude his previous thoughts and to begin his next thoughts. It's Ephesians, Ephesians chapter five, verse 21. And I'm gonna read it in the New Living Translation. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Now this is an interesting verse because it's a transitional verse. In fact, Jason closed with it last week and I'm opening it this week. In fact, it did refer to Paul's earlier statements and it also refers to those that he's about to make. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Interestingly, there are 59 one another's in the New Testament. I'm sure you've heard them before, but let me just mention a couple. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Honor one another above yourselves. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Serve one another. We could go on and on. Be kind and compassionate to one another. And then here in Ephesians, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. There are three categories that Paul is going to deal with as he focuses on some practical application of these wonderful truths that he's shared with us up till now. The three categories are husbands and wives, parents and children, and masters and slaves or servants. Now, don't get me wrong. Paul is not pausing here to address family issues that had taken place in Ephesus. No, he's continuing the same themes that he's built from the start. He's sharing the practical outgrowth of the normal spirit-led Christian life. The normal Christian life will impact your everyday relationships. And where should we begin other than in our very own households? The life of a spirit-led believer will also transform our family and our household relationships. He starts with husbands and wives. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 33. He says, For wives this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is the Savior of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. Now, let's just pause for a second. Remember, he begins this segment of his letter by saying that we should submit to one another. And either because it was necessary to correct women or because he was being polite and recognizing women, he starts with the wife. Submit to one another. For wives, this means thus and so. And then in verse 25, he says, for husbands, this means thus and so. It's interesting, though, that when he concludes his statement to husband and wives, he actually addresses the husband first. He says, I say, a man must love his wife as he loves himself, and a wife must respect her husband. He reverses the order. He goes on to talk to parents and children. He says, children, here's your instruction. And parents, specifically fathers, focusing on the male, who may need a little help in this regard, here's some instruction. And then he moves on to masters and slaves. Slaves, here, here's some guidelines, as well as for you masters. So again, we're learning to submit to one another. This is not a focus on a woman's unwillingness to be submitted in the local church or in the home. 
Rather, it's an admonition to households regarding three key areas, marital relationships, parental with child relationships, and master and slaves, because slaves typically were in the home. So let's develop this further. Paul says, as Jesus leads the church, the husband leads the family, including he leads the wife. This is the ideal. And he says, because of this, wives should submit or respect their husbands. Now, we could say, well, how is this possible? Because in practical application, many of us see this out of order. We don't see submission. We don't note respect. The way this can take place is through a mutual submission and respect. But more importantly, by empowerment by the Holy Spirit. When we walk in love, when we walk in the light, and when we walk in the Holy Spirit's power, we're able to do amazing things. I used to say, you can't have the life of God without the life of God. And what I simply meant by that was in order to walk in the truth, in order to experience and live out the admonitions of God's word to our lives, we need God in us, changing us from the inside out, giving us a new heart making us servants rather than masters or self-centered individuals. So this becomes possible as the Holy Spirit empowers us and as we mutually serve one another. He quickly moves on to the husband. Verse 25, he says, For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her, to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or a wrinkle or any blemish. Instead, she'll be holy and without fault. In the very same way, husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we are members of his body. What's Paul saying? He says when a husband loves his wife like Jesus loved the church. Now, how did Jesus love the church? Let me tell you how. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It wasn't when we were submitted to him. It wasn't when we were walking with him. It was when we were afar off. We were doing our own thing, sitting on the throne of our own life, not in any sense yielding to his lordship. Yet while we were sinners, Jesus died for us. And when a husband will love his wife, even though she may not yet be submitted to him or respectful, I believe a wife can get her head around the concepts of submission and respect when she's empowered by the Holy Spirit and in a relationship with a man who loves her like Jesus loved the church. Think about it. Jesus gave his life for the church. He doesn't demand. He doesn't complain. He doesn't coerce. He simply loves and nurtures his body, the church. So what we're really talking about here 
is the husband who loves like Christ and the wife who submits to him or respects him. And we go back to this transitional verse, submit to one another in reverence for Christ. Verse 31 goes on. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and his mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, he says, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Remember Adam? He couldn't find a, a suitable helper for him, and so... God let him sleep and removed a rib from his body, and he formed woman. And then Adam said, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. Jesus says the husband and the wife become one. And so love and nurture and respect is the natural byproduct. Marriage, when a husband and a wife become one, points people to the reality of how Jesus loved the church and it becomes a, a wonderful testimony or a, a witnessing device. Next, Paul moves on to parents and children in Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. He starts, Children, obey your parents because you belong to the Lord, for this is the right thing to do. That's where he starts, that he does an interesting thing. He goes to the Mosaic Law and he quotes the fifth of the Ten Commandments. Honor your father and mother. He says, this is the first commandment with a promise. If you honor your father and mother, things will go well for you, and you will have a long life on the earth. Children's obedience to parents is not because we're under the Mosaic Law and attempting to fulfill the fifth command but it's because we're under the law of Christ. Honor your father and your mother is the command from Exodus chapter 20. Honor, it's an attitude more than just an act. It's an attitude that affects right behavior. In the command in Exodus 20, if you honor your father and mother, the promise that was attached is that you would live long in the land that God is going to give you. Now in the New Testament, in this new covenant, God isn't giving to children a piece of land. But what he does promise is that things will go well for you if you honor your father and mother, if you obey them and you will have a long life on the earth. So blessing and long life in the earth will be the result of honoring and obeying your parents. Now, children are to honor their parents, but when, when Paul addresses the parents, he tunes in on the father. He says, fathers, don't provoke your children. Don't, don't provoke them to anger by the way that you treat them. Obviously, in the culture that he's speaking to, he's addressing a problem. Because the attitude of the first century father in these Gentile cultures was a demeaning attitude. And in fact, at, at their word, uh, the family could be put to death. That's the type of superiority that the male had in that culture. But he says, don't provoke your, your children. 
by your treatment. Rather, bring them up in the discipline and the instruction that comes from the Lord. He's not talking to mothers now. Interestingly, mothers were probably primarily doing the job, much like in our culture today. So he's admonishing the fathers who are primarily responsible for the child's training. He says, don't provoke them or exasperate them. Put it this way, responsible authority does not wield power, it serves with it. And fathers today, we can learn very much from this passage. Finally, he addresses masters and slave, the third grouping in the household in Ephesians 6 verses 5 through 9. He says, Slaves, obey your earthly masters with deep respect and fear. Serve them sincerely as you would serve Christ. Try to please them all the time, not just when they are watching you. As slaves of Christ, do the will of God with all your heart. Work with enthusiasm as though you are working for the Lord rather than for people. Remember that the Lord will reward each one of us for the good that we do, whether we are slaves or free. Now, we could make an application to the employee-employer relationship, but let's focus for a minute on the slave-master relationship. Most slaves and servants served in the home. The estimate is that a third of the population of the Roman Empire were slaves. Most Greeks and Romans regarded slaves as little more than living tools. Aristotle stated that there can never be friendship between a master and a slave. For a master and a slave have nothing in common. He said, quote, for a slave is a living tool just as a tool is an inanimate slave, end of quote. So a slave was nothing better and had no more, no more rights than a tool. But Paul says, slave, as a believer, your service is to be consistent, whether you're being watched or not. Your motive is key. It's not to please people, not to please your master, but ultimately to please the Lord. Because the Lord is the one all of us really serve. So applying this to an employer-employee relationship, we would be consistent in our service, whether someone's paying attention or not, not seeking the applaud of others, but rather of the Lord, because it is Him ultimately we're interested in pleasing. And in pleasing the Lord, I assure you, you will, you will please your earthly employer or master. On the other hand, be assured that the Lord, the righteous judge, will soon enough reward all those who serve well, whether their masters or their employers reward them or not. There's coming a day. There's coming a judgment, a judgment seat of Christ. There will be rewards handed out for faithful service. Now an admonition to the master, verse 9. Master, treat your slave in the same way. Don't threaten them. Remember, you both have the same master in heaven, and he has no favorites. Now again, we're talking to believing masters, but not only the slave, but also the master need admonishment from Paul because the pervasive cultural practices were, were incorrect, unfair, selfish. 
So as our master in heaven doesn't threaten us, masters should not threaten their servants. Rather than threaten, they should be gracious, like our heavenly father. And I just want you to note here that earthly rank has no relevance in heaven. God has no favorites. Well, in reality, it's only a spirit-filled believer who will be able to fulfill these duties. Paul is urging that a humility that expresses itself in a loving submissiveness one to another will exist, rather than an aggressive, arrogant self-assertiveness. That's the Christian way. And then he shares this final word, which I'll simply conclude with today. He says, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on all of God's armor so that you'll be able to stand firm against all the strategies of the devil. We're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now, I, may, I realize many people will throw this passage out and, and just not believe that it's possible. If it is possible, we have a significant foe, an enemy, that we need God's grace and help and Holy Spirit empowerment to face. What Paul is saying is that our struggle isn't only against ourselves. We've been redeemed. We're being changed. We're being renewed in our minds by the word. And yet, for all that, we have this old nature that tugs at us. But we're not fighting this fight just against ourself and our old nature, but against the world and the flesh and the devil. Remember, Ephesians 2, 2 says that it's the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the children of disobedience. And he said, among whom you also once walked. We, we were under that domination as well. I just want to remind you that darkness is pervasive, but Christ's life is the light of men. In 1 John 1, 4 and 5, it says, and the light shines in the darkness. So today, if we were going to contemplate these admonitions by Paul and apply them to our lives, there are several things that we could conclude to families, first to married couples. If you're struggling, the fastest way to learn to love and care and submit and respect one another is to follow God and to be filled, empowered by his Holy Spirit, who will enable you to live that type of servant life toward one another. If as parents you're struggling with a rebellious child or a child has difficulty in relationship with their parent, again, we're talking to believers here. Again, the empowerment, the presence of the Holy Spirit, walking in the Spirit and not fulfilling the lusts of the flesh will take us a long way in removing those habits, those behaviors that are only creating greater struggle and tension and strife and instead providing unity and harmony in our home. 
And we could take it further to the master and the slave, the employer and the employee. You say, I don't know how I'm going to function at, at, at my job under my boss. I can tell you how you can do that. You can do it being filled with the Holy Spirit, surrendered to Jesus Christ. Now, if you're Jewish today, I want to remind you that the reason for the Abrahamic covenant, the law and the prophets, the temple and the sacrifices was to predict and to foreshadow and to typify the coming of the Messiah, the anointed one. He has come. He is here. And today is the day of salvation. Don't harden your heart. Open up your heart and allow God to change you as you believe in Jesus Christ. If you're a Gentile, if you're a non-Jew, I want you to understand that Christ has torn down the middle wall of partition. He's removed the separation or the obstacles. Now, let's just think about this for a minute. The second temple was built and Herod remodeled it. He refurbished it. We consider it or we refer to it as Herod's temple, but it's actually the second temple after Solomon's. It not only included the holy place and then behind the, the veil, the holy of holies, but the renovations by Herod included the temple courts. So beginning with the temple structure itself and then working outward, there was first the court of the priests. This is where the altar of the burnt offering was and where the priests would work and offer up sacrifices. And then next, there was the court of the sons of Israel. This was for men only. And this is where the men would bring their offering, their sacrifice, and they would pass it off to the priests who would sacrifice it to atone for sins. And then outside of the court of the sons of Israel, the next court was the court of the women. Women were relegated to that court. Men were also permitted. But women couldn't go beyond. And then, surrounding the court of women, there was a wall. It was a low stone barrier about five foot tall. And beyond that, that wall, was an area called the Court of the Gentiles. This is where the markets were, where animals were kept and sold for sacrifice. This is where the tables of the money changers were. And you'll remember that this is where Jesus came and he saw what was taking place. And he upturned the tables of the money changers and he ran off those that were selling animals for sacrifice and taking advantage of people and he said, my father's house is to be a house of prayer, but you've made it a den of thieves. That took place in this court of the Gentiles. And inside this wall, no Gentile could venture. They couldn't cross over it. They only could move in the outer area, this court of the Gentiles. It was under threat of death that they would move in toward the temple. A 19th century archaeological dig uncovered a pillar with this inscription. No man of another nation to enter within the fence and enclosure round the temple. And whosoever is caught 
will have himself to blame that his death ensues. Paul well understood this partition. In fact, in Acts 21 and Acts 24, he was accused and arrested for bringing Greeks into the temple and defiling the holy place because they had previous, previously seen Trophimus, the Ephesian, in the, in the city with Paul, and they assumed that Paul had brought him into the temple. Isn't it interesting that Paul in, in the book of Ephesians talks about this wall of partition? And it was actually an Ephesian by the name of Trophimus who traveled with him to Jerusalem and was accused of going into the temple. In verse 6 of chapter 24, they said, and even he even tried to desecrate the temple. So we seized him. And then, of course, Paul was arrested. So Paul understood the conflict and the division. And so if you're a Gentile today, I want you to know today is the, is the day of salvation because Jesus Christ tore down the middle wall of partition. There's no more separation. There's no more obstacle. Now, it's estimated that it was in 80, 60 or 61 that Paul wrote the letter to Ephesians, and it was within the decade in AD 70 that that, that wall was literally demolished, as was all of those courts and the temple as Titus and the Roman army destroyed Jerusalem and removed stone from stone in tearing the temple apart. And obviously we know that the way into the holiest of all now is made open by Jesus Christ, who is the sacrifice once and for all for our sins. And so today we have the opportunity to receive not only help in time of need, but saving faith through the grace of God. And I want to pray for you today, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Gentile, a non-Jew, whether you're a husband and, uh, or a wife that's struggling in relationship, parent with children or child toward parent, whatever our situation, employer, employee, God wants to make a way for us today. So what does he say to us? What is this theme of the New Testament? It's simple. It's repent and believe. Or repent and be baptized, and you too will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Or it's repent and be converted, that the times of refreshing may come from the Lord. Obviously, the times of refreshing referring to the infilling of the life of God, the Holy Spirit, whereby Jesus lives in our hearts. So repent, have a change of mind and a change of heart, which will result in changed behavior. You can't do it. I can't do it by ourselves. But when we have a change of mind and we open up to God and we realize that we are not in control, but God's in control. And when we step off the throne of our life and allow Jesus to be Lord, and we believe that Jesus died for our sins, and we believe that God raised him from the dead, we will be saved. And when we receive the Holy Spirit by faith, he wants you to be indwelt by the presence of the Holy Spirit. He also wants to empower you with the Holy Spirit to live a holy life. Repent and be converted that times of refreshing 
may come from the Lord. That's my prayer for you. But let's pray together now. And if you, as a Jew or a Gentile, have never made a decision to follow Jesus, simply pray a prayer like this. Heavenly Father, today I repent. I'm changing my mind. I ask you to change my heart and enable me to have changed behavior. I believe Jesus Christ died for me on the cross and that he rose from the dead. I believe that he's alive today and he's establishing his kingdom and I receive him by faith. As a Jew, I receive Christ. I receive the Messiah. I believe in God. Now, Jesus, I believe also in you. Or as a Gentile today, I've been far off. I've been outside of this household of faith. I've not been a part of Israel. I've not related to God and his promises and his covenants. But I realize Jesus has tore down today for me this this wall of partition and he welcomes me to come in by faith in his blood I repent and I believe I will be baptized and I will receive you Holy Spirit into my life change me give me a new heart give me a new life and I pray today Lord that our relationships our relationships between husband and wife between parents and children between employers, employees, which we've seen typified in masters and slaves, that those relationships will dynamically improve as we as believers surrender to your Lordship and your empowerment, Holy Spirit, so that we might live this life of God because the life of God is in us. I pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you today. Well, a big thanks to Pastor Jim Shadler for leading us today in God's Word. We want to say thank you so much, Jim, for doing that. And we also want to take this time now just to let you know a few things that we've got going on. Uh, first and foremost, we want to encourage you to continue to honor the Lord with your best. We believe that God has called Courageous Church to be a generous people. And we believe that generosity is at the heart of the gospel. It's the heart of God. It's God so loved the world that he gave. And so we wanna encourage you to continue to honor God with your best. And maybe for some of you, that's just giving for the first time or trusting God in this way. And uh, I just wanna encourage you to do that. We believe that it not only helps us do what we are called to do here in Salt Lake City, but it helps us further the good mission of God for the people of Salt Lake, the Mountain West and beyond. So we're having impact beyond just our local region and you get to be a part of that in a big way so thank you in advance for all of your support we also want to let you know that we are gathering every week on Sundays at 10 a.m. at City Hall Park in holiday that's right in holiday outdoors under the pavilion it's been amazing and we want to invite you and your friends to join us this is a great time for the church to begin to come together again and to gather in person outside while the weather is amazing come on it's going to be so good we hope to see you this weekend at 10 a.m and then lastly this tuesday september 29th we're going to be hosting a prayer training and prayer and worship night our friends nicole dinsmore and her team from life mission church in kansas are going to be with us and they're going to be leading us in prayer and ministry and worship and I just want to say this, I believe that right now, God is calling us to be a people that pray, to be a praying church, a people that are passionate about prayer. That's one of our core values as a church. And I believe that right now, what the world needs more than anything else is a prayerful people. 
So we want to invite you to come out and be a part of that. You can invite your friends. Maybe you know people that attend other churches but that are interested in prayer and what God wants to do through prayer. We'd love for them to come and join us. It's free. You just show up. You're going to be blessed. I'm telling you, it's going to be awesome. That's this Tuesday at 6.30. We're going to have the prayer training. And then at 7.30, we're going to have the prayer and worship night. And we're going to go for it. It's going to be awesome. So we hope you can make it. And as always, we want to remind you to be strong and courageous. Remember, you are God's best. You are his handiwork. You are his masterpiece. We'll see you soon. Thank you for listening today. If you were blessed and you want to be a part of what God is doing through Courageous Church, including ways that you can give, visit us online at CourageousChurch.com.